Hey everybody, this is John Maroon. Welcome to Spotlight, the Maroon PR podcast. All things PR, social media, uh, marketing, you name it. Today I'm joined by our esteemed vice president, Jen Bloomer. Hi, Jen. Good morning. And our great and unmatched producer, Johnny Goldsmith. Um, today we're going to be talking a little bit about social media and joining us on the phone will be Liz Cannonberg. She's the director of content at Sprout Social. Sprout's a great partner of ours. They help us with a lot of different analytics um, for our social media uh, clients. And they recently uh, did a study that really talked about some interesting trends in this industry. So we're going to talk about some social media trends and we're going to get Liz on the phone right now. Hey, we're welcoming Liz Cannonberg, Director of Content over at Sprout Social. Liz, good morning. Thanks for joining us on Spotlight. Good morning, John. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. Um, Liz and the team over at Sprout recently uh, um, conducted a really interesting study um, that that showed a lot of really fascinating trends in the world of social media. So we're going to ask Liz a little bit about that, about Sprout Social overall. They're a good partner of ours and their business model. Um, Jen, why don't you uh, take over? Yeah, so um, we've been using Sprout for about three years now, and we help you guys help us monitor all of our social media for clients. We have about, I would say, 12 clients right now that we're doing social media for um, soups to nuts, so we monitor post content. Um, so we use you guys for analytics, um, scheduling, pretty much everything when it comes to social. But what you know, we I find really valuable is is beyond that. You guys have so much information and you have access to so many brands, um, we find your resources, your additional resources in these studies really, really helpful for us and to be able to share with um, our clients and help build strategy. So I, I guess we just wanted to start by maybe you guys get, you giving me a little bit of background about Sprout and how it came about, and we can go from there. Great. Yeah, Sprout just celebrated our seventh anniversary, and uh, we've grown to a team of 320-plus people based in Chicago, we build social media solutions for brand and brands and agencies. So our whole, um, our whole, the whole basis of Sprout is making the communication between brands and organizations and you know regular people in social easier, um, more effective for both parties, and a, a better means of, of open communication. So um, we love making this tool available to businesses of all sizes and giving them access to help them better communicate with their customers. So. Our biggest aim is to offer a platform that anyone from a small business to a big global brand can use with ease um, for publishing, engagement, collaboration, and analytics. That's so that's great. our jam. Yeah, that's great. Um, and as I said, you guys are such a great resource. Can you talk a little bit about um, the work you guys do in the industry and the reports that you guys are publishing and, and why they're so important for your clients? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we have access to so much interesting data about how our customers use Sprout and use social in general. And then we also are regularly conducting um, consumer surveys so that we understand what um, people who use social to communicate with brands like the ones using Sprout uh, want out of that relationship or are looking for from that communication. So um, one of the most important things we do is what we call the quarterly index. We've been producing that since um, 2013 or so. And um, we, we, it's one of a number of data reports that we produce on different industries and different facets of social. And it's now a, a resource that we focus on brand and consumer trends across industries. Um, the point is really to help our audience 
and our customers understand emerging trends in social and also the consumer perspective on how brands are using social so that there's a, a more opportunities to create that engagement relationship and more resources for brands when they try to set up a social strategy that's effective for both their business objectives and what their consumers want from them. Yeah, Liz, it's interesting when you mentioned about the social strategy, a lot of times when we start to talk to our clients, they want to be on all things, mm-hmm. all platforms, where mm-hmm. they are on all platforms and they're doing a so-so job on each. Talk a little bit about how maybe some, not every platform is for every client or every business or every industry and how there are certain strategies that you can employ to reach very specific audiences. Sure, that's really interesting. Our most uh, recent quarterly index report was focused on how different generations use social differently, and a big component of that is where they're most comfortable, so which platforms they're using for which purpose. And um, understanding that, I think, is is the first key to focusing a social strategy on um, both the platform and the type of content or type of engagement that your core audience is looking for. So, you know, like you said, I think a lot of brands make the mistake of trying to be everything to everyone in social, meaning they're, mm-hmm. they're doing their publishing, they're doing their engagement, um, they're trying to promote uh, through the through the line uh, marketing initiatives, you know, everything from promos to bigger brand campaigns to let's throw our TV commercial up on Facebook and see what happens mm-hmm. um, without really understanding how their audience is using a specific platform or how they're communicating with their brand specifically or even other brands like them. So at Sprout, we, we do a lot of work to ensure that um, – that insights are a big part of the offering of the tool. So it's not just facilitating how you do social, but it's actually offering you a view into how, not not only how your brand is doing, but how your competitive set is doing and what they're doing so that you can either, you know, learn from that and maybe um, implement some things that are working for your competitors or learn what not to do based on what's not working for them. Yeah, that's great. So I guess switching gears a little bit, we, um, we're a public relations agency um, and we integrate social very seamlessly in our communication plans for clients. So we strongly believe that that social media is a true communications function. And it's an interesting topic when we go out into the world and, and the marketing versus PR and, and what, where do the responsibilities lie? Um, and, you know, we try to tell our clients all the time that, you know, your social media is a communications tool. It's a way to engage with, with the public. Um, it's a way to get feedback. It's so much more than it should, and it should be looked as much more than just a sale. And how am I going to get that sale? And how am I going to push all my content in front of people and get it to them? Um, so can you right. talk a little bit about engagement? I know that's kind of an area of your, your focus of yours of how brands are communicating with with consumers and, and and I guess your perspective on on where the responsibility lies within brands well it's a, it's a really awesome question because I think engagement as um, a term is kind of squishy right now mm-hmm. and you know it's it's evolved since um, brands first started using social you know probably roughly 10 years ago um, I think engagement was seen as that very much that one-on-one conversation and trying to make sure that every consumer um, outreach was answered by a brand and um, that it was more making sure people either felt good about the potential of making the decision to buy your product mm-hmm. or um, use your service or after they've done it to, to make sure they're happy and they come back. But um, engagement as a strategy in social is is evolving constantly and I think that's where the line gets blurry between PR and marketing mm-hmm. um, right because when you're doing even if you have a brand whose objective in social is awareness 
So they're using a lot of paid social and they're just trying to generate reach and impressions for something um, using a social platform and the audience modeling capabilities that are, are available there. They're still listening. They're still trying to figure out whether or not whatever they put out there worked based on the reaction and the reaction is engagement. So mm-hmm. um, I've, I've worked in situations where both the PR agency and the marketing or advertising agency were using social together and um, it's difficult, but it's not impossible. Um, where where both groups are getting what they need out of it, and the brand is ultimately you know, reaching whatever objectives they're trying to to um, put together. But you know, Sprout, um, our motto is open communication creates progress, and we truly believe that uh, having those conversations, whether they're one on one or the brand to a certain group of people, is the best way for the brand to understand where not only the product should go, but where the messaging should go. Um, based on the reactions that people have to to what they're putting in social. Hey, Liz. Um, <clears throat> but once again, we're uh, thanks for listening to Spotlight. We're uh, talking to Liz Cannonberg, who's the director of content at Sprout Social. Um, Liz, a lot of our clients are nonprofits, and oftentimes, you know, they have they struggle with how best to utilize social media, and you know their eye is always on more donations, or they ask you things like, "Hey, how can we do the ice bucket? What's our <laughs> ice bucket challenge?" And you know, mm-hmm. obviously, a lot of times that stuff happens. It is not a big plan; it's just, it just kind of happens. What What's your response to companies that are, or organizations that are very much want to use? Social, maybe a little less for the ways in which it was intended, and more to either generate revenue directly, or you know, have something go viral, which you know, <laughs> we 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 have a hard time actually creating. You know, what what's your general response when? And do you hear that? Because we hear that. Oh my gosh, absolutely! And um, and I'll tell you guys, I've worked at both PR agency and an advertising agency, and I heard it in both places <laughs> um, for diff- for very different reasons. I think the first thing I would tell a client who asks for you know, something that's um, considered viral or a viral campaign is to make sure they're brave enough to let go of their own perceptions of who their brand is, because mm-hmm. with great reach and great involvement on a on an at scale um, comes public interpretation of what the message is or what the intent is, right? Right. So. Um, I think a great example are some of the things you've seen fail in viral campaigns where you can point to something like, you know, when McDonald's asked for McDonald's stories and <laughs> what they got was, was not necessarily what they were hoping for, those warm, fuzzy family uh, experiences with McDonald's, but rather like, you know, con- bad consumer yeah. experiences with we McDonald's. S- I saw something um, in the New York Police Department oh. a couple of years ago. They wanted people to share, you know, their my cop or yeah. my NYC cop and, you know, yeah. The reaction when was very, very the wrong way. I remember that. Yeah. I remember that. So, so if you're even going to uh, embark upon the journey of virality, you've got to make sure you don't have any skeletons in the closet. It's a little bit like um, uh, running for office, I think. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it's sort of evaluating what could possibly go wrong and thinking about it from that perspective first. And when you're brave enough to do that or you don't think that you've got anything to worry about, then the next step, I would say, is to start using social as a... a means of building a groundswell. Um, and the first thing I would do would, would, especially for a nonprofit, would be to try and identify some people with influence who would be passionate about your mm-hmm. cause. So maybe they've got, um, they've been public about a friend or a relative or someone close to them who is struggling with, um, you know, a certain disease that you're trying to um, provide funding for. Or they've 
been public about um, donating to that cause or a cause like it in the past or supporting it with um, an appearance or something like that and try to start cultivating a relationship based on something you know is a shared interest between your organization and the person of influence. And then you borrow their equity. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got reach and they've got people who are, um, they've got people who care about what they care about simply because they feel a connection to that person in one way or another. And um, and that equity is invaluable for, for starting something that um, that doesn't have any momentum at the beginning. Well, it's really interesting you mentioned that. Um, you know, one of our clients is Cal Ripken, the Hall of Fame baseball player, and, and his foundation, the Cal Ripken Senior Foundation. And very short, in short order, we're going to be launching a campaign that's going to celebrate law enforcement in communities and all that good stuff. And there's a, apparently there's a police officer with a huge social reach in Little Rock, Arkansas. Named, is it Tommy Norman? Is that Officer Norman. Yeah. Officer Tommy, Norman. That's how he goes. And, uh, and he has a big social media following. And we were able to reach out to him, ask if he wanted to partner with Cal on this. And he was thrilled. And he's going to be a part of it. So that feeds to what you had just mentioned, Liz, about finding some experts with some significant reach in that area that think what you're doing is pretty special. So mm-hmm. fingers crossed that'll oh, I love work that. out. And then yeah. we did a little bit of extended research to go into their network because the foundation's already doing um, these cops and kids programs. Um, t- so mm-hmm. finding stories that they already have, great positive stories, kind of building a database, nice. and then part partnering with you know officer norman and maybe some other cops that are you know really engaged with the cause um before we we just launch it without any you know any really um power behind it so i love that i mean if you think about it as a as a pyramid of um social influence i would assume that cal ripkin is on social and has a a measure of influence being Mm -hmm. a you know hall Mm -hmm. of fame baseball player so if he's sort of at the top as your figurehead and then you you build a support system of influence underneath that of people who are like officer norman who are authoritative in the field because he is a police officer and then you start to build under that people who have influence who have had great um interactions with their community police and you really start to have a cohesive story before you even launch the program that's awesome yeah um, I guess kind of sticking one last subject to touch on on the topic of influencers. Um, you know, we talk extensively here about using influencers and how they're expected to be compensated or not compensated. Or are, are they media members now? You know, how to approach that subject um, because they do have power and they do have influence and they have a, a committed group of followers um, that you can really tap into. Um, Open time in uh, kind of the hospitality space mm-hmm, too, right? Right, yeah, the food, food bloggers. Yeah. That's a big, you know, obviously a big thing. Um, do you have any insight on on kind of how the world of influencers are, is going? I know you guys actually just put out a nice um, resource piece on that topic of paid versus not paid influencers. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's. Um, I think you have to look at it first, sort of like you do with um, with trying to find influencers to launch a campaign that you hope to get some visibility for organically is if you are not offering monetary compensation but you're offering an experience or your product or something then you really have to find somebody who's going to be open to whatever that experience or product is and already Mm -hmm. has some you know some um i guess already established with their audience that that's something they'd be into because otherwise there's there's a disconnect you know it's disingenuous and they'll probably be less interested in working with you if they're not excited about getting the product or having the experience so um i think food bloggers is a is a perfect Mm -hmm. example and i've worked with a lot of food bloggers i've Mm -hmm. worked with a lot of music bloggers on 
festivals and things like that. And mm. typically they're pretty excited to attend the festival or right. have access <laughs> to the bands or something like that. So, so that is something of value to them. Um, on the other side, I've done, I've also done a lot of paid influencer work and I just look at it and it's, you know, it's interesting how, um, brands set it up, uh, where in the budget that money comes from. Mm. Um, more often than not, it comes from their media budget because they're looking at these paid influencers as a media spend rather than spending for an ad on a certain site or in a certain magazine. They're spending that same money to access the audience the influencer has, right. thinking that maybe, you know, they've got, a more um, an audience that's more likely to uh, respond to what what that influencer says than just being an ad. Mm-hmm. So, hey Liz, let me ask you a question. Going back to the most recent study that you guys published, was there anything that came out of that that made you and the gang at Sprout Social go, "Wow, we did not see that coming," or or did it kind of follow the trends that you th- thought were to be true? Did it reinforce your beliefs, or did it shock you in any way? Uh, I think it did a lot to reinforce our beliefs. It also, I was surprised, I guess, at, um, well, it, I was not surprised that, that there was a greater spread among millennials when they, as to what their favorite network was. Mm-hmm. It was pretty consistent with the older generations that um, baby boomers and Gen Xers were Facebook first. But um, the even spread of Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat among the millennials was a little bit surprising to me. I think I've read a lot that Facebook was still, even though it's, you know, your mom's network, it's still king right. um, across all the generations. So I think the momentum that Instagram has gained with the launch of Instagram stories has changed the way people use that platform mm-hmm. and um, made it a, a much bigger part of their sort of social media mix, their personal social media mix is more flexible and it has more storytelling opportunities now. So it's probably pretty interesting, I think. Yeah, I was definitely intrigued by the... Um Facebook still being very popular among the younger generation. And we actually just worked with a client um, who was trying to reach just teenage girls. That's all. They wanted to reach teenage girls, and they wanted them to, to buy, um, you know, they're buying flowers for prom. So that was the topic. Um, oh, okay. And we had some good success, actually, with Facebook and just paid strategy. But it took a little while to show our client, well, these, you know, people are, these teenagers are on Facebook. Here's, through the paid, you know, analytics that you get from Facebook, Here's the audience size that we can reach with a paid post just to teenagers. So they're there. It's just it's just you hear so much about Snapchat, Instagram. That's where they are. But but the, your yeah, studying proves. Yeah, and um, you, I think you bring up a really good point of what what people are expecting to see from a paid perspective mm-hmm. on certain platforms. I, I think that paid on Instagram is still sort of nation right like it's, right. Not, it's not as developed as it is on Facebook mm-hmm. and um, and even if only 33% of millennials would cite Facebook as their favorite platform that's 33% of a whole lot of people right so mm-hmm. <laughs> you still got the potential to reach a, a, a very um, robust audience for your yeah, brand absolutely um, I guess our last question for you is just on the topic of trends is do you guys talk about anything internally or see anything that you think might might pop in for the rest of the year? Yeah, I think the rest of 2017 is um, is going to be highly focused on the evolution of live video and how brands can use live video now that most um, platforms have some sort of live video capability. We're still feeling out mm-hmm. what, uh, what the greatest advantage is, I think, for a brand to use live video. Is it events? Is it behind the scenes? Is it the sort of more... Um, um, real or authentic, less produced mm-hmm. look at, at how the how the brand lives in the world, um, and that kind of remains to be seen. You know, we've got a pretty good idea of how brands are using 
um, content and influencers and paid social, but this one is still a little bit wonky. And I think there's a lot of, of potential for um, pitfalls if not done well. So this will be a year, I think, of seeing some great successes and some great failures with live video. And, uh, and the other one is, is episodic storytelling. So Snapchat stories and Instagram stories being a means of sharing um, how you live your life or how a brand lives its life in a way that um, builds that builds the story upon itself and is mm-hmm. kind of here and then gone. So you have to engage with that moment. You can't, you know, hit the little flag on Facebook and save that brand message for later. You have to look at it now. And I think that'll change the way that brands um, message and what they message at what time. Right. Hey, Liz, thank you so much for taking a few minutes out of your day uh, today. Your insights were just tremendous. And, you know, speaking for Jen and our entire organization, we really value our partnership with Sprout Social. And any marketers out there that have downloaded the podcast and are listening, if you do not utilize Sprout Social, check it out. It's an invaluable tool and resource. <laughs> thank you so much. And we, we love working with you. And we're so, so happy that the partnership has been great for both sides. So thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. That was Liz Kennenberg, the director of social uh, director of content at Sprout Social, and that was terrific. So, Jen, good conversation. Thanks for uh, asking Liz to be a part of the podcast. Yeah, and uh, thanks for downloading. We'll talk to you next time on the Spotlight.